Heather, can you hear me? I can. <laughs> Good. Can you hear me? Is it clear enough? It is. Great. Great. Hey, Heather. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, everyone, welcome to this Choir Nerd podcast. I'm your host, Mark David Obenza, and I am here with Heather McLaughlin Garbus. Did I say that right? You did. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I had a I second guess myself for a second. Uh, Director of Maggie Ensemble and President of the Greater Seattle Choral Consortium. Uh, Heather, thanks for coming on my podcast. Thanks for and having uh, me. those that are tuned in, um, I hope you'll think of this more as a kind of live uh, interactive experience. And I hope you'll chime in the comment section with questions or um, um, or, or any any comments that you want us to respond to. So uh that's a actually heather's i was sort of scouring youtube to find um something to play for you uh, from maggie ensemble i i didn't realize that that video that was a really 
well done um, video. Did you see it? Did you see it beforehand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, David Wilde is one who did it. Um, he did that one in a very fun piece about going fishing and just a little more fun that's in color. And then this one he did um, in black and white, um, kind of, he came to us, He uh, we sang at St. Mark's at a service and he came to us afterwards and said, hey, I do videos, would you like, would you like uh -huh. to do the ones? We're like, yes. So it was a really fun experience. That's awesome. Well, yeah. that, that video turned out really well. Yeah. Um, I recognize the audio. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> so, so Heather, just first off, uh, how are you and Pete doing in the time of COVID, and how is how has COVID affected your music life, if if at all? Um, it it has quite a bit. I, we um. Uh, to be very transparent, we live on a tiny uh, condo on Capitol Hill. And when we both went into teaching online, I was teaching private lessons and still doing some work at UW. And um, my husband, Pete, works for a biotech company. And we were like, this doesn't work. We can't be right on top of each other. He has was taking you know, conference calls. I was trying to teach voice lessons. It wasn't working. So we actually um, are kind of holed up in a in a house on Camino Island right now, which is- Oh, my God. And very inspirational in a way to be able to go walk in the woods and we have a little deer family that comes and visits and a little rabbit family and so um that aspect it has taken us kind of out of music in a lot of ways but it um it made me realize sometimes you need to take some time off and kind of reconnect and get back a little yeah. bit enjoy what's around you um that being said we have also um because of the age of, you know, the dreaded word of virtual choir and all those things, um, we are uh, we have been doing some virtual choir work, um, and we also um, have been doing some recordings for, uh, especially voice students who need accompaniment, uh, accompaniment because you yeah. can't accompany over, you know, Zoom very easily. So, we've been keeping busy musically as well. Um, it's a, just a totally different way, in a way. So yeah. yeah. Well, Camino Island. That sounds. That sounds nice. Yeah. I, I honestly <laughs> did look up flights to the Philippines like two days ago. Well, we if, we're able to, if we're able we to work from home, I can just work from <laughs> my parents' like deserted island where they have a uh, where they have a beach resort. But I realized that the time difference might make that inconvenient. Before uh, Estonia and Latvia and Lithuania closed down to everyone, we we did have a moment where we were like, should we just go to the Baltics right now? <laughs> um, but we also, same thing, the time difference, we realized we'd be working through the night, you know, to yeah. teach, be doing things here. And was that worth it? And then they closed down to all travel. And that was the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even actually know if we can get over to the Philippines if we wanted to. Um, yeah, I don't know true. if the tra I don't know if the airports are doing that but uh well heather why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and um how you got into just briefly how you got into in interest in maggie ensemble and and the greater seattle choral consortium um so i uh was a graduate student at uh, uw in the choral program and um there came uh, up an opportunity to to kind of have a, a ta position in a way or an ra position um, working on what was just starting as the Baltic Choral Library. And it, it, it really was supposed to be in some ways a data entry job. You know, here's the new score, put it in the form and go about your day. 
Um, but very quickly when I got the position, I realized that, you know, I, I needed to have some basic language knowledge. I needed to kind of maybe understand the culture a little bit more to understand when you're cataloging, you know, what is this piece and what, what does it really represent? And so, um, I started, uh, uh, doing some language study in Estonian. Um, and then the choir went on tour to the Baltics and, I knew when I was writing my dissertation um, that I didn't want to do one where I would just sit in a library someplace, but that I wanted to go out and experience a culture. And, and when we got to Estonia, um, everyone went off to the beach and I went to the library, like the good little girl <laughs> I was, um, and also visited with some of the professors at the conservatory. And we came up with this idea that, um, uh, the first time I walked in to talk to a professor, she said, oh, I'm sure you're here to talk about Veliotormis or Arvo Pert. And I said, no, I'm not. I want to know who else um, and who doesn't get a lot of attention. And she said, I have the perfect person. Um, her name is Esther Maggie. And here are some recordings. And why don't we meet tomorrow? And you can tell me. And so I went back the next day and said, this is who I want to study. And um, learn more about and then in the true you know small country style she was like oh good would you like to meet her now and it was just it just opened oh the door very quickly um and so that started my research my dissertation was written on uh esther's choral works which uh she had been she's mostly known if uh with estonians for her chamber music actually and so that was kind of a new thing that people hadn't really paid attention to were a lot of her choral works um and then uh from that, uh, my continued interest in the Baltics, started studying Latvian and Lithuanian as well, um, and realized that a lot of these pieces don't make it much farther than maybe one token little performance here and there outside of the countries. So that's how the Maggie Ensemble was born, was uh -huh. to, to just promote it. And um, the truth is that area of the world uh, has outstanding repertoire for, um, treble voices and that's how it became a, a treble ensemble as opposed to a mixed choir ensemble. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I liked the idea of having a professional ensemble that wasn't mixed or men. That seems to be more common. Yeah. Um, and so we, we kind of made a conscious choice. Um, we used to have male altos and then we, about five years into the existence, we, we did a rebranding to kind of a, a bit of a woman power kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah um, that's great. Yeah, so that was how that developed. I didn't, that wasn't the long range plan from the start, but it just okay. uh, evolved and we thought, okay, this feels really good. Let's keep going with it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. I'll never forget, I had the privilege of going on that tour with you all and and really getting to to witness sort of the, the culture and the music sort of firsthand. And, and I'll never forget uh, seeing Arvo Parrot in person as the rest of the choir always won't will never forget my reaction to seeing him uh, show up at just out of thin air it felt like <laughs> but um do, can you speak Estonian and Lithuanian I so I I would say I, um Estonian is my strongest and actually part of my uh position at you at UW right now is um, I'm actually working in Estonian literature as part of my, my appointment, and I'm oh. translating uh, some Estonian poetry and working in that aspect because it parallels, of course, song text. There's a lot of poetry that becomes song text, and so it's a great parallel. So I do read a lot of Estonian poetry. 
Um, I am, I have taken both Latvian and Lithuanian in class. I'm continuing right now more with Latvian, um, doing some reading and, and speaking. Um, and then I'll circle back around for Lithuanian since they're all quite different. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to study all three at once. I get very tongue tied or I, I've been told I'm the master of uh, starting a sentence in Estonian, putting the Latvian verb and then ending with a Lithuanian. <laughs> so sometimes my brain needs a break. So right now, and unfortunately right now, Lithuanian's a, a little less, I don't use it on a daily basis, but Latvian and Estonian, I do use on a daily basis at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mm -hmm. How did you get Maggie Ensemble off the ground? Um, so you had this idea, you wanted to focus on this underperformed um, composer. And um, so, I'm I'm genuinely curious how people do this. I mean, everyone that has a professional choir has their own, I think, unique story and way of getting it off the ground. And so, how did you do it? Um, we, when we first started, I mean, um, I always wanted it to be professional, you know, paid. Um, yeah. But I knew that the funding of that was going to be very scary, frankly. Um, and it it thankfully has grown. <laughs> in our plans, um, but it, you know, it started off to be quite a small stipend and a lot of the singers did a lot of very, you know, kind of gracious things, um, you know, donated their time back and, you know, all those things that people do when they think, you know, when they believe in it. And, um, but we did have, we've had some kind of angel donors, thankfully. Um, and honestly, you know, we, uh, both Pete and I have invested a lot. We decided this was a big thing we wanted to invest um, and and be a part of. Um, we have gotten great support from all three communities, all three Baltic communities. Um, mm -hmm. And we uh, have gotten some support from some of their organizations as well, cultural organizations. Um, but, you know, some sometimes it, some years things work great and some years they don't as much. And um, I've always tried to be very you know, kind of transparent about this is, this is where we're at. Um, so yeah, it, um, it's, I, I wish there was a magic formula <laughs> and I wish there was a checklist because there's not, you know, as much we had, I, we had for the long, probably for the first four or five years, we had just about enough in the bank to make it to the next concert. And that was about it. Um, yeah, I know all about that. <laughs> and now thankfully, thankfully it's finally getting to be, oh, we can kind of plan a season and even commit to like, okay, we can make reservations here or we can, you know, but it, it definitely, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing harder, where I should say a few things harder than starting a professional choir. I mean, the, it's it can be a very demoralizing experience, but certainly rewarding once you get it up and going. Uh, I Was there a scene for it? When you started, do you think there was a was there an audience for Baltic music, or did you feel like you had to sort of create that out of thin air? We we've had to create it. The, the a very interesting thing I found out is that um, the concept of Baltic, and actually David Horiuchi is just right. Who's the biggest name in Baltic music right now? Mm -hmm. um, I'd have to. I mean, Eric Eschenwalds is probably the biggest popular one when it comes to to like choral repertoire now. I I'm hoping um, uh, Laura Jakobsona, who's who's kind of coming into age with Latvian voices, is is a is a hot or more kind of trendy one happening. Um, 
But the, the whole idea of Baltic identity, which I didn't realize, I just kind of stepped in it and walked into it. Um, it's now developing in these years, but initially it was like, I, you know, you asked an Estonian and they're like, we have nothing to do with Latvia. We have nothing to do with, uh -huh. you know. And so branding ourselves as Baltic, we didn't quite, none, none all three of the communities were like, well, they're not quite our own. Uh. And so we, we, and when we first started, our, because Esther Maggie is Estonian, our colors were blue, white, and black. Even though we were hope, you know, we were planning on uh, singing pieces from Latvia and Lithuania, and even Finland to a certain, you know, um, but we had branded in a way that everyone said, "Oh, you're that Estonian choir," and I was like, "No, no, 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 we're a Baltic uh, choir. Like, that yeah. doesn't exist." And I was like, "It does," <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny. Um, so we had an audience initially in the sense of um, the communities, the Baltic communities would come just to see what it kind of was like. Uh -huh. um, but we, but it, it also was kind of a question. And then many, I felt like many of the audiences in Seattle were kind of, you know, you know, they do all this audience research about people want to come and hear what they know, and then they can hear a little thing new kind of idea, you know, like if you want to program a new symphony, make sure you also program a Mozart symphony. So they have their kind of comfort level and then they're exposed to something new. And here we were, here's a whole concert of nothing you've ever heard before. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it took a while for people to want to, to go to a concert like that actually. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget that stadium of how many thousands of people that Y'all sang in, in was it in Lithuania? Uh, yeah, yeah, we uh, sang a big festival in Lithuania. Yeah, I mean it. It is. There's nothing more just jarring than than seeing that and realizing, like, just coming face to face with how important choral, the choral tradition is part of their culture. Yeah. Um, can you say like a little bit about that? Um, it, well, and it's really interesting. Um, like how many oh, how many singers were on stage? Uh, the Lithuanian one, that would have been, see, there's always this joke about each country says they've had the most. And so it, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you go to a bar with, with a Lithuanian, a Latvian, and Estonia, and someone will say, oh, our festival was 20,000 on stage. And then the next person will say, well, ours was 24. And then the third one's like, well, ours was 30. And so there's always this kind of, um, kind of urban joke about what it is. Um, it was between, I think that one was, what did they say? 17 to 20,000. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, Plus, you know, many in the audience, many of the festivals have almost up to 100,000 in the audience on top of it. So, you know, there's 120,000. And you have to remember, um, you know, Estonia is 1.5 million. Lithuania is 3.2, I think. So this is a major chunk of all the people in your country are, are there to sing or to watch and be a part of it. So, uh -huh. it, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. The The... The little tiny battle I continue to fight, I've realized, is that um, because of, I think, great marketing, actually, in, when it push comes to shove, everyone knows of the Estonian festivals and the singing revolution because there was the movie and they have outstanding um, uh, promotion and, and marketing. And, and Arvo Pert. And Arvo Pert. You get to claim um, Arvo Pert on their team, yeah. <laughs> um, that everyone thinks it happened in Estonia but it happened in all three countries and all three countries yeah. have festivals and all three countries have parades and all three countries have, were part of the singing revolution. And so I, 
I continually carry my little um, feisty banner about that sometimes when people <laughs> present and they're like, and in Estonia, and I was like, no, actually in all three countries, I, I need to interrupt you and, and clarify that. So. Right, but it's a huge, I mean, this this gathering together in in those numbers, and and I'm I'm forgetting what the connection is to the, but there is a connection to their history, um, with mm -hmm. that. Can you can you say more more about that? Yeah, it, it the the singing festivals were actually a part of the German tradition, um, and you know that that area of the world was occupied for many years. I mean, Tallinn technically means Danish city because it was occupied mm -hmm. by the Danes and they named it and. Um, you know, and Lithuania was uh, Polish influence for many years and everything. And so all those strong singing tradition of those song festivals coming together um, for some reason. And I and, you know, there's a lot of speculation and research and, and, and many papers written about why it continued there, but it has continued there. Um, and I think some aspects of it are that was an area that's been occupied. Um, there's a lot of serfdom and and singing was one way that they could still maintain their cultural identity. Um, you know, some, we talk about it here in the States with the um, uh, uh, spirituals. It's kind of, I, I believe it's the same ideas. This was an area that was occupied. They were still holding on to their identity so much and this was a way they could. And then suddenly they were able to carry on and keep that tradition of the song festivals out in public. Um, and those song festivals carry on even through the Soviet occupation. So. Yeah, it was kind of a way for them to do it, and that's why it's it's still such a big deal for yeah. all three cultures. And so, one of my favorite things to do when I was on this tour with you all uh, was to go to a bar really late at night, just that some local recommended, and and the singing is seriously a part of the bar scene. I mean, when like once two AM hits, they are in a series of like just bar medleys that that they it's not just like a few people it's like the whole bar like gets turns into just jolly belligerent singers which is just a beautiful sight um sorry so back to the back to the um <laughs> they uh, do it on the tram as well at night when you're yeah. on a tram after a while oh, yeah. Oh, cool. singing, and then everyone's singing in harmonies and they're doing all the percussion parts it's very fun yeah yeah <laughs> Um, so I can't help that, you know, this, the stadium of Colk of choir singing together, I can't help but think at least locally of, I don't know if this was intentional, but that is part of, part of, um, the mission or the idea behind greater Seattle choral consortium, which mm -hmm. you are the president of, right? Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. I am. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh can you tell us what that is and um, a little bit about uh, what, what their mission is? Sure. So the Greater Seattle Choral Consortium um, is is all, all the choirs in the Greater Seattle area. We are actually the biggest consortium with 92 members. Um, we were born out of, from the idea of Boston uh, started a few years before us and we were, um, we were able to, to use their knowledge to start. New York has one. Um, we then were um, a mentor for San Diego. Uh, now New Jersey has one, Greater Massachusetts has one, uh, Rochester, New York area has one. And our mission is um, to promote choral music through collaboration and public awareness 
and performances. Um, and it, it came out of the whole idea that many times choirs, you know, church choirs or choirs at schools or anything, they have a structural organization that helps them with promotion, with, you know, basic things like spaces and risers and, you know, all those types of things. And that um, community choirs, independent 501c3 type community choirs don't tend to have that structure. And so conductors and boards of those organizations um, have a tendency to keep reinventing the wheel when if we were able to connect with each other, we could at least say, hey, yes, I just did that. Here's some great ideas for it. Or, um, yeah, I'm only using my risers, you know, January and March. Of course, you can borrow them in February. And and, type, and that's what it initially started as. Um, it's now grown to a few other things, um, which I'm happy to go into, but I don't know if you... Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so right now, um, our biggest thing is we've, we've been collecting COVID resources. Um, you know, all those research that are happening about is singing safe, is singing with masks safe, how far away do you have to sing, all, all those things. So that was one of our, when, when COVID hit in a big way, um, the board came together and said, we really need, this is, this is something we should be doing. This is part of our purpose is to make sure that our choirs are safe. Um, but we do also the website, if you go to seattlesigs.org, it has like venue information now. If you if you're trying to find a new venue or you you need a bigger space now because of spreading out, um, it has venue locations. It does a concert promotion calendar that it also emails once a week if you're on the list. Um, we have like a, a choir finder. So if you're new to the area or you know want to find another choir, you can go by your location. You can go by, I'm free on Tuesday nights. Who meets on Tuesday nights? I want to sing this type of repertoire. Um, and then also we have, you know, like a Facebook discussion group. Um, that has been really helpful right now with COVID because, you know, all these articles kind of keep swimming around and people are like, is this legitimate? Is this not? And we're able to. I, know, I swear it goes back and forth so often. Like I, I see, don't you ever sing in public anymore for the rest of your life? It's like, oh, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a, uh, it isn't, it's nice to go to a place to have, have the most current information about that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So what is, what about, so it's like a, it's mainly a resource for singers and directors. I know that you, mm -hmm. you all post concert um, information for all the choirs, all mm -hmm. the, did you say 92 choirs? 92 choirs. We're the biggest consortium. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and, and you have festivals, uh, you have a kind of festival every was it two years every two years and we are um well before COVID, before COVID hit we were trying to also do a um a less kind of formal showcase festival um but uh, uh maybe uh everything were related you know like the festivals called seattle sings and then we had uh an event called big sing where you would come as a singer and sing a masterwork. So maybe you you um, sing in a smaller community choir that isn't able to to sing Verdi Requiem by it yourself, but you're able to do it if we all come together. And so we had an event called Big Sing, and then in we were just starting to talk about the idea of a thing called Spring Sing, which is more of an educational festival day. So hopefully, you know, maybe all of the youth choirs would get together and we'd bring in a clinician, and then they would do more of a sharing, not a formal concert. Uh -huh. um, and then COVID has hit and everything has changed a little bit. So yeah. um, 
but that that's some of the ideas that we've been thinking about is just again facilitating ways for singers to be together for conductors to um showcase and learn in the process and i um i mean to be really frank you and i have have we've met each other through other things but i was so intimidated by you why? oh my god but, but why? Just, you know, but because you don't know each other and you're both, you know, everyone's in their little, like, I go to rehearsal, these are the people I know, that kind of thing. And this is what this is trying to do is to break down those barriers and, you know, have um, someone, you know, be able to say, hey, you're a GSCC member and I'm a GSCC member. And I know that you have done, you know, repertoire from this region. Can I talk to you about it? As opposed to just cold calling it, it's also kind of a, we're trying to break down those silos as well. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, it took me a while to, to, to sign up <laughs> because I, I honestly was, it, it just wasn't on my radar, but I, mm -hmm. I do, I do totally support the mission and, and the, and it's nice to have an organization trying to kind of connect people and to try to support each other. I think these festivals are, um, you know, and, and so for the GSCC festivals, for people that don't know, you have multiple choirs, many choirs performing over the course of a weekend mm -hmm. from morning till night, feels like. And mm -hmm. and um, you have a ton of people show up. And um, it just very quickly, David wanted to mention, it's for the GSCC is a resource for singers, directors, and administrators. Yes, yeah. Uh, administrators can get all the help uh, they need. So, uh, but... Um, but the very communal aspect of it, you know, I, I a very small example of this is something I've seen in the acapella community where they share the stage and they invite their following to support not just their own group, but other groups, too. And I think that's such a it, it's a good spirit to have. When, and it's and it's too easy in my case, especially to be too focused on, you know, well, what do I need to do for my own group next? Um, so. So I'm I'm happy that it's out there, and, and I hope people will will look that up and and support them. So how do people how how do people sign up, or how do people become a part of this um, organization? Um, it's uh, SeattleSings.org um, yeah. will get you there, and then it you know I, it's there's under membership, um, and uh, you can email as well. I believe there's an info at Seattle Sings, and then that will get you started. Um, and it's it's very easy to sign up. It's fifty dollars a year. Um, so it's, you know, it's not a huge, I know when choirs are starting out, even $50 is quite, um, a challenge sometimes. And so we, we would love to talk to organizations if, if even, if that is a challenge, you know, as you're starting out as a new choir, we'd love to still talk to you. We've, um, you know, had, uh, promotions before where we've, you know, uh, um, had discounts and those types of things. So we really do want to, you know, we want to include everyone and, and, and like I, you know, I mean, I jokingly said to you, Mark, but it is true, it, it kind of cuts down, um, you know, I mean, this is talking about my own personal, I, I look at everyone and think, oh, you're so accomplished and your choir is so accomplished and this is so and stuff. And those, those are still factually always true, but to be able to also sit and, you know, backstage with someone and, you know, have a laugh and everything, it just, it kind of allows us to see each other as colleagues and humans as opposed to competitors. And I think yeah. sometimes in the choral field, it gets stuck in the competitor and then we kind of lose the humanity of why we do what we do. Yeah. Really? Do you think, it, do you see it that, do you, do you, do you sense that? Like people oh, like yeah. kind of fixating on, 
oh look what they're doing like i'm not good or i'm not good enough or so no. oh yeah okay. it happens a lot i don't i mean i don't you know there's there could be many reasons behind it but i mean i there's 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 been many a time where i've 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 kind of wished I could know know them more than just the conductor. Uh-huh. And this, I I feel personally, GSAC has helped me with that, as I can, mm-hmm. you know, I I can see them as a as a person, and yeah. that changed a lot. So. Yeah. No, that's that's an important thing to learn. I mean, I, um, how are <clears throat> just switching back to COVID real quick? So mm-hmm. how do you how are choirs um, that you've heard of dealing with? COVID, like how are they performing next season if they are? Like are, are even, are, are any choirs um, presenting a season next year? We we had a um, GSCC Zoom drop-in oh, probably a month ago. Um, and it, it was a lot about initially about, you know, Skagit Valley Chorale, which is the big one that, you know, went national or international. Apparently there was an article about it in England. Um, yeah. They many of them were infected by um, by uh, COVID, and two of them unfortunately passed away. And they are a membership choir of Sale Choral Consortium. And so, um, I called a meeting to just you know allow um, Adam Burdick to the conductor to you know just kind of share what happened. He wanted to, which I think is very gracious of him, um, and share what happened, share how you know how it evolved, and um, kind of what the reaction has been. And what came out of that meeting more than anything was that um, many of the conductors are very scared, frankly. I mean, that's a good word you say, to, to bring their choirs back. Uh, especially, you know, a lot of the choirs um, are people over 60, you know. Um, yeah. I, have to, I, I also conduct the, the Finnish um, Choral Society, and that they're an older group. And, you know, Maggie's reasonably young, but Finnish Choral Society, and then the Norwegian Men's Course, which is the longest-running choir in the state of Washington, has like two 92-year-olds who want to come back and sing. And so, what the consortium has been able to do, in a way, is those conductors are able to say, "Hey, you know, I know you want to sing, and you want to sing together, but as a consortium." these are what my colleagues are doing. And it just gives you a little more, you know, kind of backing as you, as you have to, unfortunately, you know, modify seasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And that has been a comfort to some of the conductors. So they don't just come at their choirs like, Hey, we got to cancel. And, and the choirs are going to, you know, you know, they want to sing. So they're, they're going to try to fight it a bit. So. Yeah. In the, yeah, the, the, the COVID stuff for me has really hit home. Um, a kind of nagging, maybe unanswerable philosophical question of mine, like what is the value of what we do? Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you're when you're a professional arts organization, when you're when you're like trying to pay your singers, mm-hmm. um, uh, you need to make some revenue to do that. And what we and it's really made me believe that. That what the a lot of the value our value is what we deliver on stage in the moment, and now we're forced to find a way to make money off stage, mm-hmm. and now we're now we're in the realm now we're competing for for digital space uh, and attention and trying to somehow like monetize that, and that that's been very a very strange 
um, reality for me. I mean, so, um, and, we'll, and we can dig into this, but like virtual choirs is one way we can, we can do that, you know, and we, it, it's, we're able to reach so many more people with our digital choir videos, like way more people than would actually show up to a concert. <laughs> <laughs> but we're making, but, but there's no, but there's no way to monetize that. We can't make, that's not give. that's not bringing in the goods, you know, or, or who wants another, who wants the like 20th recording of Talis's If You Love Me, you know, and it's, it's really, <laughs> it is a harsh reality on, on how to, how to, how to, how to shift gears um, into this new era. Um, I know that big art, bigger arts organizations like um, I think PNB, and I don't know what Seattle Opera is doing, but but they're still continuing with a virtual season next year, and then trying to, um, like do a live thing, kind of like this, and um, and kind of they, they just sort of embrace the problem and they're throwing a few extra things in the experience, like maybe a little cocktail video at the beginning to um, something interactive at the end. Um, but yeah, so it's just been kind of a weird wake up call. <laughs> and it's made me like really think about um, once we can get back on stage, what we can do to improve the, the, that performance experience um, just so, because there is something very sacred about that, and and Gus Denhart, the the early music um, operations dude guru, he 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 said something super super interesting that you know people are fixed, they're transfixed actually before the sound is made on stage. You know, just as the musicians suddenly give their attention to the conductor bringing them in, it's you're already in this sort of alternate universe and. Uh, so I do hope that we can kind of recapture that when the time comes. Um, but yeah, so virtual choirs, do you hate them? Uh, well, um, they were dreaded earlier, so. They've been, yeah, they've been dreaded. I think, I shouldn't say this because it'll go national or something, but I, I think part of it honestly came from the whole Whitakerizing uh -huh. of virtual choirs. And, and I know he's not the one that developed it and someone is going to message me that or the something. Whitakerizing. That's the best. Rising. <laughs> I'll even hear it. The Whitakerizing of... Um, <laughs> see, someone's going to show this to him. I'm like, darn it. Um, but the, the idea that it has to be perfect, I uh. think, scares people off of virtual choir. And the honest truth is the first time I did and I, you know, I've now sung on three um, and no, five. I've sung, I've done five virtual events, I will call them, uh, since, the, since COVID. And um, the first one, it was like, you know, 20 takes and whatever. And by the last one, which I just recorded last night, I seriously finished and went, eh, that's okay. Because um, I know what the mixing is afterwards. And I was like, oh, I'll be fine. Yeah. We we're good um but i think i think the whole and i understand the visual of it but this whole you know you have to look you know you have to wear this clothes and you have to have this and stuff and i think that takes out the humanity of it and the humanity of it is what we're craving um so when we clean everything up perfectly and when we have to all wear black and we have to have a not crazy black and white screen behind us and all that kind of stuff 
um, I think suddenly we're just a bunch of heads and a bunch of sound coming out. Whereas if you can see people and go, oh, that's really cute. They have a cute house or they have, I, I think that keeps the humanity. Now that probably isn't a video that you wanna promote to the world, um, but what is the purpose of it? Some of them are to worship and, and I think those are great when you get to see everyone at home and doing their thing. Um, if you're doing a promotional video, yeah, maybe that's a little different, but we have to kind of understand what's the intent and who is our audience when we're doing them. And it's not always to have an absolutely perfect, perfect product. I, I, yeah, I know. Oh, virtual choirs. It is a big lie. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah, everyone calls it <laughs> every time I'm done with one, whether it's for my own or for someone else at the end, I'm like, Oh, hell no. <laughs> but it, but it, it does be, like bring up the question, like the value of live versus recorded music. I mean, there are people, and and understandably so, that prefer live performances over recorded ones. And you know, you could argue that they both serve different functions. Um, you know, and but when you really try to dig down, like, what is it about live performances that are so valuable to these people? And they'll say they like the imperfections. You know, like for that that brings uh, a human value to it. Um, and I would actually add that what makes it special is that a live performance special is that you can only experience it once. Right. And whereas a recording, you need, it does need to sustain many listens. I mean, the more you listen to something, the more you're going to find something wrong with it. And for me, that's, and everyone has their own, uh, they like live performances for different reasons. For me, What's super impressive is when a live performance is actually technically very good because I like know how hard that is to pull off. And that's just me. But so so I wouldn't say that I love live performances because they're they're the inherent imperfection gives it humanity, but but just that for me that I can only experience this once. It's like seeing a diver, you know, at the Olympics, like just execute something perfectly. You're like, oh, damn, that was good. And, um, but yeah, it's another, that's one of those other things that I've been kind of dwelling on in COVID. Like, and, and, you know, these virtual choir things are now like kind of like mini TV shows. <laughs> They're like, you can't just, you're, you're not just simply recording the music. You are um, trying to keep it visually interesting too for three or four minutes. Um, what else did I want to touch? So I guess while we have everyone paying attention, we're going to, I just want to plug our collaboration event. Um, so for those of you that that are interested in seeing how one might tackle the COVID, the COVID era and, cor and choral performance uh, this Saturday, uh, Radiance, um, the contemporary American choral group that I do, Maggie Ensemble, Heather's group, um, Sound City Singers, directed by Johanna Olson, and um, Graveyard Girls, directed by Lauren Castanis, will be sharing the virtual stage uh, this Saturday at seven. Wait, God, hang on, Heather. Do you know? Sorry, I, can't help you. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this has changed. Okay, so it's at seven. Time you don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. It'll be this Saturday, June 27th at 7, and there'll be like some 
pre pre-game stuff starting at 6:30 and we're going to in this format using this very nifty program uh, or nifty third party app called Be Live will be sharing each other's virtual choir concerts um, or virtual choir performances with all of you and I hope you will come and kind of participate and experience that and it'll be an interactive performance so you can kind of chime in um, ask and and we'll be featuring three local composers so and those composers um, are uh, Greg Bartholomew will be performing his piece the tree um, Kari Medina we thank thee and Stacy Phillips love tender breathing fragrant so we're we're gonna show a bunch of great local music performed by your local local groups and I hope you'll tune in and there is a virtual ticket uh, you can buy to support to support the event and um, all the proceeds are being sort of divided equally among all the groups so you it's really a great way to support this effort but I don't think I've seen this kind of thing done you know where we where where we sort of do a live sort of presentation like this with choir. So I'm um, have you Heather? Uh, I, I mean, no, not to that extent. I mean, I've, you know, seen events here and there, but no, not where it's like a, a true collaborative, collaborative choir thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Heather, did I leave anything out that you wanted to talk about? I think we've exhausted my, uh, my list of topics here. I mean, I will, I, the one thing I have to say is I, when this, whole thing started as well. We actually, Pete and I together invested in some microphones and some sound things and whatever. Huh. Um, because the truth is, I, I mean, we sat down and had a kind of moment together about what is this in our future for Maggie Ensemble and for music and whatever. Um, and you have to kind of look at the positive aspects in the sense of, you know, this, the collaboration concert on Saturday is the first time that a lot of my family in Wisconsin is going to be able to see me perform. It's the first time a lot of, you know, uh, people that I've met in the Baltics are like, oh, I might tune in and see that. So there is an aspect that I don't think should completely go away when we're able to be together. And that is, you know, having a virtual event or having some sort of online streaming or some sort of event, you know, um, I think there's, you have to also look at the good of, of it to a certain way to be well one to survive mentally yourself that you know but also i think i think there is some good to it you know people who are not able to easily get to a concert are suddenly much more able to at least um check us out and and feel like they're a part of it so um i'm yeah. into to when i get very frustrated with virtual choir mixing <laughs> um, <laughs> That is the the one thing I kind of go, okay, but this is reaching someone that may not be able to or hasn't ever thought of coming to a performance of ours before. So yeah, that Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. That's a great point to underscore that mm -hmm. the value of just the sheer number of people we're touching with our music. Mm -hmm. And um and especially if we can make them feel like they're a part of it. You know, they can't be physically a part of it, but at least digitally we have that we have that window. So um well heather thank you so much for hopping thank on it was, it was a great great moment a great time opportunity to catch up and to hear what you you all have been up to so um, 
Okay, well, thanks everybody. And uh, this will be available um, as a, just a normal video if people wanna share this around. Okay, thank you.